Well, tonight, um, I want to ask just one simple question on the eve of Thanksgiving. What is your life's purpose? We're getting philosophical tonight. Uh, I'd imagine that all of us here at some point or another have thought through that question. Maybe you've taken a spiritual gift test, a Myers-Briggs, a Strengths Finders, a DISC profile test, an Enneagram to try to figure out how you're wired, what your purpose might be. Uh, maybe you've tried multiple internships or switched job careers all for the sake of figuring out what is your purpose in life. It's why we seek out mentors, life coaches. Talk to a, a, a woman giving me a, a lift ride home who is searching for her purpose through tarot cards, through uh, horoscopes. If you go to Grace Covenant Church here in Chantilly, and Pastor Jim LaFoon is in the house, and he's going to prophesy over some people. It's why maybe you try to sit in the most visible seat possible, make eye contact that maybe the man of God might give you a word and reveal God's purpose for you. Tonight, I'm going to save you all the trouble. You can fire your life coach. You can tell Pastor Jim next time he comes, you're good. You don't need a prophetic word. I am going to give you your life's purpose tonight. Are you ready? Are you ready? Awesome. The title of this message, and this ought to work great for some clickbait when it's on YouTube, God's purpose for your life. If you're scrolling through YouTube and you don't click that, then something's wrong with you, not me, okay? Now, obviously, I'm being a little facetious, but today's passage that we're going to look at today in Romans 8 is God's purpose for every believer at a 10,000-foot level. And I'm hoping to show you by the power of the Holy Spirit how that 10,000-foot level view of God's purpose for your life helps you immensely when facing the ground zero of life's worst events. I'm thinking of abuse, divorce, betrayal, suffocating depression, loneliness, a loved one dying. So look with me in your Bibles, Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at just three verses tonight, Romans 8, 28 through 30. Lord, we ask that you, spirit of wisdom revelation, would open up our eyes to see your purpose for us. In Jesus' name, amen. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, I want you to see in this passage that me asking the question, what is God's purpose for your life? It's a very intriguing question, but it's not one that I just made up arbitrarily. It's right here in this text. The second half of verse 28, for those who are called according to his purpose. So what we're going to unpack tonight is, 
what is God's purpose? What is this purpose that he's talking about, the Apostle Paul, in this passage for you and for me? And I'd imagine that the first part, the first half of verse 28, is very familiar to most of us. It's probably in the top three of most popular Bible verses. It's what's, what kept uh, the family Christian bookstore in business for so long. It's plastered on mugs. It's plastered on bumper stickers, beautiful wall art hanging in people's homes. And there's a reason why it's so popular. It's an amazing promise. It's comforting. All things work together for good. But I think it's misunderstood in two significant ways. And if we can clear up those misunderstandings, I think that promise is going to be even more glorious to us. Here's the first misunderstanding. Romans 8.28 is often used as a feel-good mantra for everyone. That's why anybody can pick up a mug and feel good about the fact that God is working everything for their good. The idea behind this misunderstanding is that by very nature of us existing as human beings, don't worry, everything is going to work out in the end. It's the ethos behind the Bob Marley song. Don't worry about a thing. Come on, join me, y'all. Because every little thing is going to be all right. Pastor Tiffany, I'm still waiting for my invitation to the worship team 20 years later, but... But notice in this verse that this promise applies to a very specific group of people, to those who love God. So the inverse implication of that is that those who don't love God, things are going to go the opposite in the end of very good. They're going to go really badly in the end. Here's the second misunderstanding. It's a part of that last phrase in verse 28 that all things work together for good. And the misunderstanding is what does good mean? What does it mean that God is working everything for our good? What does good look like? Most of us as Christians think that good means that God's plan for my life is health and wealth. This is Jeremiah 29, 11, one of the big three of the verses that we love, right? Uh, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. This is kind of the underlying uh, thought process behind your best life now. And there's some truth. There's some truth. There's a kernel of truth in that, or it wouldn't, have been, it wouldn't be so popular. That God does supernaturally heal. Amen? How many of you believe God heals today? Amen. We've seen him heal. God does financially bless us. I'm so grateful for that, that we don't have to live in poverty. We don't have to live wondering where our next paycheck is going to come from. Generally speaking, Proverbs tells us if we obey God, things go well for us. So there's some truth to the fact that good means us living a blessed life. But if we limit good to health and wealth and nothing bad ever happening to us, we're going to become disillusioned pretty quickly. What's been called the, let's say, the prosperity gospel isn't very solid footing when we experience abuse or divorce or depression or betrayal or a loved one passing away. 
And so what I hope to show you tonight is that when Paul writes that all things will work for our good, that good is bigger than health. It's bigger than wealth. It's really good that it means that bad things, it's not just limited to bad things not happening to us. It's actually better. It's better news. And verse 29 through 30 is going to explain how all things, even the worst things, think about the worst moment of your life, still works for our good. Verses 29 through 30 explains God's purpose for your life. And what you're going to see, if you look at it with me, 29 and 30, you're going to see this chain. It's pretty obvious right there. It's called the golden chain by some theologians. It's a series of unbreakable events in the life of every believer that cannot be stopped. These events can't be stopped because they are entirely initiated and carried out by God. And that's really good news. Because if they were initiated by us and had to be sustained by us, they probably wouldn't happen. How many of you have had a New Year's resolution to read your Bible every day? How did that go? We set our minds to do certain things and we're incapable of doing them. If they're initiated and sustained by us, these moments, these events we're going to talk about here in a second, then we're in trouble. So let me list them all, and then we'll talk about them one by one. So here they are. Number one, that God foreknew you. Foreknew you. Two, he predestined you. Three, he called you. Four, he justified you. And five, he glorified you. Let's, so let's break these down one by one, starting in verse 29, for those whom he foreknew. Now, foreknowledge, here's my working definition, is God setting his love on you. God setting his love before the foundation of the earth. So in eternity past, I know we can't really even wrap our minds about what that is, God knew who would be his. It, but it's more than just a knowledge because this word know is the same Old Testament word know that refers to God's special choice and his covenantal love for his people. So think about Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, God speaks to him and he says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I set my love on you. I chose you. Before Jeremiah had done anything, his prophetic ministry at this point was zero. And yet God, before he was even born, knew him, set his love on him. Before you were born, before you had done anything right or wrong, God knew you. He loved you and he chose you. Now, notice the second link. Here's the second link in the chain. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Predestined. So predestination. God set a destination for us. And what is the destination that he set? And here's where if we limit good to just us being healthy and us getting a promotion in our job, it falls flat. 
Because the destination that Paul unpacks for us is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So God, before you were born, in eternity past, he knew you and he predestined you to look like Jesus Christ. God's purpose for your life, spoiler alert, right here, is to make you look like Jesus. Now, Jesus wasn't wealthy. In fact, quite the opposite. Jesus gave up infinite wealth to come to the earth and become poor. That's what we we're going to celebrate here, right? In a couple weeks, Christmas. Why? For you. Jesus wasn't always healthy. In fact, he voluntarily gave up his healthiness, his health, on the cross for you. And it was the best thing that happened to you and I. Amen? So understanding that God's purpose for your life is to conform you into the image of his son, Jesus, helps us, it orients us when we face suffering. Because it doesn't fully explain our suffering. It doesn't give us all the answers to every painful situation that we encounter. But it gives us perspective when we're going through what feels like hell. Now, all things working together for our good does not mean that all things are good. Divorce is not good. Abuse is not good. Death is not good. Sickness is not good. But the great promise of Romans 8.28 is explained here in verse 29 that somehow God uses even the most heinous of things, the most painful events of our lives, the most hellish things to conform us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Here's an example. Joseph. Joseph in the book of Genesis. He's betrayed by his brothers. He's sold into slavery. He's falsely accused of adultery. He's thrown into prison. And then here's his testimony when facing the very people who are the source of the majority of his pain. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, for good. All of these terrible things that you caused in the sovereignty of God, in the purpose of God for my life have resulted in my good. God set a destination for Joseph before time began. And look at the parallels to Jesus' life. He set the destination for Joseph of being thrown into a pit by his brothers. So we could experience the betrayal that Jesus would experience from his own people. God determined Joseph would be sold for silver just like Jesus would be sold for silver. God would allow Joseph to be falsely accused for a sin he, he didn't commit. Just like God's son Jesus would be falsely accused and sentenced for sins he didn't commit. Joseph was predestined to be conformed into the image of Jesus, and so are you. How does that affect when you go through harrowing events in your life? You go through terrible moments. How does that change your confidence in God's overarching plan for your life? That it's a part of it. In fact, God is working it for your good. Why? In order, Paul says, 
that he, Jesus Christ, might be the firstborn among many brothers. So here's the second big newsflash. That God's purpose for your life, I know this is mind-blowing right here, is primarily not about you. It's about Jesus. God foreknew you and he predestined you so that Jesus would be first of many brothers and sisters. So Christ is so glorious. He's so beautiful. He's so majestic. He's so strong. He's so compassionate. He's so kind. He's so powerful that God wants the pinnacle of his creation, you and I, us human beings, to resemble our elder brother, Jesus. When people see my younger brother, I have a younger brother, four years younger than me. When, if he was to walk in here, you may not know anything about him. You may not know where he's from. You may not know his education. You may not know what he does occupationally. But when you see him, you go, that must be your brother. Because he looks like you. You guys look alike. And when people see us, God is working everything, including the worst moments of our life. So that Jesus is the first of many brothers. And when people see you, they go, wow, you look like Jesus. You look like Jesus. Here's the third link. And we'll move through these ones a little bit quicker. God foreknew us. He predestined us. Verse 30, those whom he predestined, he also called. So now in one sense, God calls everyone. The Apostle Paul, Acts chapter 30, he's preaching the gospel. Sorry, Acts chapter 17, verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, Paul says, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. So this call of God, this gospel message, goes out to everyone. Creation itself is speaking of God's glory and his majesty. God desires all to be saved, 1 Timothy says, and come to the knowledge of truth. But what Paul's talking about here with a calling is something a little, a little bit more specific. He's speaking of those who've not only heard that call, but have responded. At some point, somebody preached the gospel to you. Maybe it was a campus minister. Maybe it was mom or dad. Maybe it was a preacher at church. Maybe it was a coworker. Maybe it was a YouTube video, someone on a YouTube video. But if you responded to that gospel message, behind that person's call was God's effectual calling. And how do I know that Paul is, is not talking about a general calling to repent that goes out to all humanity, but he's talking specifically, specifically of those who will respond positively with faith? Look at the fourth chain of this golden chain. Those whom he called, he also justified. Justification. To be pronounced and treated as righteous and blameless. And this is what all of Romans is about. Justification by faith. God has declared us righteous, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what Christ has done. We've been talking about this in Romans chapter 8. The whole first half of Romans 8 is what God has done in Jesus Christ. A hundred percent of those who God calls respond in faith and repentance and are justified. 
And this should encourage you today that you can't lose your salvation because if you could, it would imply that you gained your salvation at some point. You can't lose something you never gained. You were given a gift of salvation that God gave. God foreknew his own. He predestined them to look like Jesus. He called them to himself. He justified them or made them righteous. And finally, those whom he justified, he also glorified. So when God saves us and the Holy Spirit enters into our life and we begin to cooperate with the Spirit's leading and we begin to look more like Jesus every day, we start reading our Bibles, we start praying, we start knowing him more and looking more like him, God uses everything at his disposal to conform us into his image. He'll even allow suffering. He's not the author of suffering, but he'll allow it in our life to shape us and to mold us and to accelerate our growth in Jesus Christ. But the reality is, even with us cooperating with his spirit, even with our best efforts to grow in our relationship with him, even despite the suffering that we endure and how he uses it to shape us, our best efforts fall short. Our sin, our humanity keeps us from resembling our elder brother Jesus perfectly like he deserves. And maybe some of you are are there tonight. You're frustrated that you have the same addiction. You're caught in the same bondage. You're not seeing any progress in your life. Yet God's plan It won't be stopped. In fact, God's plan is so unstoppable that you can't stop it. His purpose for your your life won't be thwarted even by you. This golden chain will not be broken. So he glorifies us. And we talked about this last two weeks, myself and Pastor AJ, that when Jesus comes back, he will resurrect our bodies, he'll eradicate our sin, we'll fully be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, and Jesus will have the many brothers and sisters that perfectly resemble him like he deserves. And how certain is the Apostle Paul of this? Notice the, the tense of that verb. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. So this future event of glorification, Paul uses a past tense form of the verb, glorified. It's so certain that it's as good as done. Do you see how this is better than just good things happening to you because you're a Christian? This is better than just God giving you a promotion or a spouse or good health or whatever. This is better than God giving us our idols for a blink of an eye. That is this life. God's purpose for your life began long ago in eternity past when he foreknew you, he predestined you. It was made known in your life when he called you and when you answered that call and he justified you. And it'll be made fully known when one day, he glorifies you. A hundred percent of those he sets his love on, those he foreknew, he predestines. All of those that he predestines, those he chose to be conformed in the image of his son, Jesus Christ, as their destination, he calls every single one of them. 
every person that he calls by his infinite wisdom, he brings into the fold of his family. He's faithful to justify, to make us righteous. And every human being that is justified will be given a new resurrected body, will be glorified. God makes 100% of the shots that he takes. Every person that he foreknew will go through these events and be glorified. And that's really good news because that takes a whole lot of pressure off you and me. Whole lot of pressure. So here's what I want you to do tonight is to ask yourself this question. Do I love God? Look at Romans 8.28, first part of it again. We know for those who love God, all things work together for good. So all of this that I just described, the last 15, 20 minutes, happens for those who love God. So the implication is, what we need to wrestle with is, do we love God? Is this golden chain reserved for us? This is God's purpose for every person who loves him. So do you love him? Not did you grow up in church? Not have you been baptized? Not are you essentially a good person? No, no, no. Do you love him? If Jesus is the object of your affection, if he's the one you're living for, if he's the one that you love, not a perfect love, but if you love Jesus Christ, this is what he's got in store for you. If you love him, then on this Thanksgiving Eve, thank him. Thank him. What do we do with this news? There's no commands in here. There's nothing for us to do other than just to worship and to thank God that he is so good and that we deserve none of this, that he chose us before the foundation of the world. Despite of anything we've done, we hadn't done anything yet. So something in our hearts should rise up. A worship and a praise should rise up. This, mo- this is a moment to turn off the ESPN alerts for a moment. To stop taking pictures of yourself on Instagram for a second. To take a break from Netflix binging for a Thanksgiving holiday. And to worship God. And to thank Him. And to praise Him. Thank Him for using the most horrific, most confusing hardest moments of your life for your good. Thank him that his grasp on you is stronger than your grasp on him. And if you don't love God, maybe you realize that you love what God does for you, but not God himself. Then perhaps tonight is the night that you respond to his call. You repent and believe. And you're justified in his sight. And you discover God's purpose for your life. I think back on some of the moments of my life. And there were mountaintop experiences, conferences, moments in this building, powerful worship. But in those moments, in those darkest hours, where everything that I am or thought I was, came crumbling down. 
And yet God, in his grace, had his hold on me. And my confidence when I stand before Jesus isn't that I was a great Christian or a pastor or read my Bible or prayed or was in community. My confidence is in his grasp on me. And you can have that same confidence. God is for you and he's working all things for your good. Amen. Father, tonight we thank you for your purpose for our lives. Lord, we repent because we've complained about some of these moments that you, from your eternal vantage point, are working for our good. We've complained about the very things that you're using to shape us and mold us into your image. So Lord, we repent of that tonight and we choose to thank you. Come on, wherever you are, just begin to thank God. Thank him for his plan for you. Thank you that it began even before you were born in eternity past. Thank him on Thanksgiving Eve that he sent his son Jesus to die for you. He called you, justified you. Thank you that one day he's going to glorify you. Lord, we worship you. We praise you tonight. We thank you that there is no God like you. Lord, you are infinitely wise. Some of this blows our mind because we can't comprehend all that you do and all of your wisdom. So we just choose to worship you. At the point of our, where our understanding stops, we choose to worship. If you're here tonight and you recognize, you know what? I don't know that I really love God. I want to give you an opportunity to repent and to receive him and to receive that gift of love where God supernaturally changes your affections for him and where he becomes the object of your ultimate love and adoration. If that's you tonight, just raise your virtual hand if you're tuning in online or if you're here in person, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. you raise your hand online, just say, Father, I'm sorry for the way I've lived. Today I choose to turn to you. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Family, have an amazing Thanksgiving with your family. God bless.